Phineas had yet to see his island, but now the day had finally come. On that summer day in 1820, after a long ride on horse and buggy, Phineas jumped from the wagon and ran through a meadow. He raced to a row of trees, and there he saw Ivy Island. And when he finally saw the island, he stopped, and his heart sank. Ivy Island was five acres of snake-infested marshland. His father had called it the most valuable land in Connecticut, but it was actually pretty worthless. They said it was a generous gift, but it really wasn't. It was a joke, a cruel, heartless joke. Phineas stood there in disbelief and then uttered four words, four of the most haunting words in the English language. But I had hoped. So much pain is packed into those four short words, but I had hoped. Now imagine Isaiah's anticipation when the word of the Lord came to him in 740 BC. Isaiah wrote all about nations streaming to Zion, beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Isaiah wrote about a virgin conceiving and bearing a son whose name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah gave this son other names as well. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. With such great and precious promises, everything was going to be great for Isaiah, right? Smooth sailing, right? Wrong. Dead wrong. In Isaiah 29, 13, the prophet says that God's people honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And then in Isaiah 30, verse 1, the prophet calls God's people stubborn children who have plans, but they aren't anywhere near God's plans. The prophet says that the Israelites rely on horses and trust in chariots, but do not look to the Lord or consult the Holy One of Israel. After hearing about peace and Emmanuel and a coming king, this is how people are living? You can almost hear Isaiah's heavy sigh. But I had hoped. The result? Shattered hope. Dashed hope. Futile hope. When our hope is lost... What are our options? Well, one option is to become bitter. You know, Phineas, who I mentioned earlier, the Phineas of Ivy Island fame, this Phineas became bitter the rest of his life. In fact, he made a career out of being bitter. He made a life out of fooling people just like he had been fooled. You may not know him as Phineas, you probably know him, though, as P.T., as P.T. Barnum of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. It was P.T. Barnum who uh, was allegedly coined the phrase, there's a sucker born every minute. Another option when we lose hope is that we can become broken. When we lose hope, we disappear into sadness. And we have this thought in our heads that we'll never be happy again. Life sometimes doesn't seem like it follows any ordered or predictable path. 
with no rhyme or reason. And when we lose hope, it seems that those four words consume us. But I had hoped. When life's hammer crushes our heart, we can become bitter. We can become broken. Or we can become believing. Stories told after the Civil War, the College of William and Mary had to close its doors. And weeds grew on the campus, roofs crumbled in, windows were broken. It was all going to be a lost cause were it not for the efforts of one man, Benjamin Ewell. Ewell went to the bell tower every morning. He went there and he rang the bells, calling students to class. Except there weren't any students and there weren't any professors. But for seven years, every single day, Benjamin Ewell rang the bells at the College of William and Mary. Ewell refused to become bitter. He refused to become broken. He became believing. And the result? The result was that the, William, the College of William and Mary reopened in 1888 and is still today one of the foremost colleges on the East Coast. And that's very similar to what we see with Isaiah. Because Isaiah, in a similar way, continues to ring the bells. In spite of it all, in spite of everything that was going on, Isaiah pens these words. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. And that word wait there in this verse is the very same Hebrew word for hope. Do you see the connection there? Biblical waiting means waiting with hope. Biblical hope means hoping while we wait. Waiting and hope, they go together like peas and carrots, like peanut butter and jelly, like pasture and desserts. <laughs> we won't wait if we don't have hope. And hope won't help us unless we learn how to wait. Isaiah 40, 31 contains some of the most powerful words in the Bible. The words in this verse combine waiting with hope to put a spring in our step and a song in our heart. But they're still just words. Letters forming ideas, figures on a page announcing concepts, viewpoints, and thoughts. And that's why Isaiah goes on. He goes on to tell us about the suffering servant who took on flesh and blood in Bethlehem. The prophet says that this servant will grow up and one day give his back to those who strike him and his cheeks to those who would pull out his beard. He will not hide his face from mocking or spitting. The servant will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep is silent before its shearers, he will not open his mouth. The servant will give himself over to suffering, suffering and death, and he'll feel the Roman whip and the sound of a hammer hitting the nails. Hope will listen and love. Hope will hear and heal. Hope will have a name, Jesus. But we had hoped. Those are the same words 
that the disciples at Emmaus said in Luke chapter 24. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. There in Luke 24, after shedding his blood for all sin, for all people of all time, Christ is alive, walking with a man named Cleopas and his friend on the way to Emmaus, a village seven miles west of Jerusalem. And the two disciples are bitter. They say, we had hoped. They're broken. Their hopes have been dashed. The two disciples there were in so much despair, they didn't even recognize Jesus. I can understand that, and I'm sure you can too. But what does Jesus do? Does he scold them? Does he berate them? Does he dismiss or demean them? No. Luke 24 goes on to tell us that Jesus makes himself known through the scriptures and communion. Word and sacrament. That's where Jesus delivers hope. That's where he delivered hope to those two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And that's still where he gives us hope today. Word and sacrament. I read that recently there was a study done on 122 men who had suffered a heart attack. And they were evaluated based upon their hope. And of the Of the 25 men that had the least amount of hope, 21 of them died within eight years. Of the 25 with the most hope, only six died after eight years. And so if you do the math, the loss of hope increased the odds of death by more than 300%. Loss of hope predicted death more accurately than blood pressure, the amount of earlier heart damage, or cholesterol levels. So I think what that study is really saying that it's better to eat donuts in hope than to eat broccoli in despair. (laughs) At least that's what I'm going to go with. But hope is a powerful thing, especially hope in Christ, true hope. And again, there's a verse that really encompasses this and it puts it all together for us. And it's those familiar words of Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is your sure and certain promise that you can hold on to as you wait upon the Lord with hope. Amen.